I want to share with you a word this morning. Uh, a real revelation God gave me as I was just reading the word the other day. A word which I really would sp- think will speak to us in this time. A word which I think will resonate with us and I pray will minister to you. But I think it will give us some clarity of what God's doing right now. I want you to uh, come with me to Matthew chapter 16. And um, it's a circumstance where Jesus is with his disciples. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Uh, it's a famous passage of Scripture. It's a famous, famous occurrence where Jesus and his disciples came along. But there is so much in this passage. There is so much to get out of this for his church today. And my prayer is that we do, that we understand exactly what happens here and, um, and that we receive from it. First of all, this thing happened at Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is right at the northern end of Israel, right on the border with Lebanon. And um, it was formerly called Bashan in the Old Testament. And I think King Og was the king until uh, uh, Joshua came in with the Israelites and took over. And it changed hands many times and, and they called it Bashan. It was a place where Baal was worshipped eventually and um, the Philistines had taken it. And they set up a lot of altars, a lot of pagan worship happened around that area. And um, eventually around about 100, 100 BC, um, it came back into, or it came into Roman rule. And um, the Greeks had come in there as well. And it actually had its name changed several times. But then this guy called Philip, he was Herod's son. The Israeli king Herod, his son Philip came and he renamed it Caesarea Philippi, sort of sucking up to the Romans, but also naming it after himself. And um, here we have Jesus with his disciples at this place. They went north and for no other apparent reason, maybe to reach out into the district. But I think there's more to it. You see, it was a place where there's a massive mountain called the Mount Hermon. And on the bottom of that is a little place called the Grotto of Pan. I have some photos for you. Let's, let's show those. There we have Mount Hermon up the back there. There's actually a ski resort up there if you Google Maps it. There's a beautiful picture of it right there. And right at the bottom of that mountain is a place called the Grotto of Pan. It's a big hole in the side of the mountain. Very big rock, if you like. And there's another view of it in today's looking at it. And it, there's a, a natural spring of water that comes flowing out of there. And there's a site. And this is what it would have looked like in Jesus' day, if you want to just flick it over now. They would have had temples built around it, temples to the god Pan, half goat, half man, who was a god of fertility, god looking after all the goats, and they sacrificed a lot of goats in that place. And, um, but one of the interesting things about this place, the Grotto of Pan, 
is that it was considered to be called the gates of hell. They believed it was the doorway to the underworld, Sheol or Hades. It was a place where evil spirits would go to jail. In fact, what's very fascinating about this whole thing, you see Mount Hermon was considered the meeting place, the assembly point of the, the gods in the uh, Roman and Greco world. They would come onto the top of Mount Hermon and they would meet and, and um, they would discard bad evil spirits down into the gates of hell. And Josephus, the history writer of that day, actually wrote that no one has ever touched the bottom of that pool in the, Mount, in the Grotto of Pan. It is so deep, it must be hell. It must be the, the gateway to the underworld. It was greatly feared and a lot of um, sacrifices happened around that place. A lot of idol worship, as you can see there, there were temples. And um, it was a terrible, terrible place to be if you're a young Jew. Another fascinating thing about it was the book of Enoch talks about these places. The book of Enoch is a book written around about 300 BC and it was the passed down generational to generational stories of Enoch who walked with God. And um, it's very much like the Lord of the Rings really when you read it, it's very fascinating. And what we do know is that at least some of the disciples, the follower of Jesus, read the book of Enoch. We know that Jude quotes it, quotes straight from the book of Enoch. Peter himself actually talks about um, what Enoch does in that book, and especially when it comes to spirits in the underworld. He talks about how Jesus went and preached to them. Very fascinating. But the book of Enoch also says that when the, the rebellious fallen angels of God descended upon earth, they descended upon Mount Hermon. And he also states that the Grotto of Pan, he doesn't name it that, but the gates of hell is where the disembodied spirits, these evil spirits were held captive by God in the gates of hell. Now, we in the modern world probably think that's far-fetched. But to a first century Jew, they didn't think that. They actually thought, wow, this is true. And when you see Peter quoting the book of Enoch and you see Jude also quoting it, you understand, I reckon we could actually quite reasonably assume that the disciples knew about this. Now think about it. Here these are, these young Jewish men and women following Jesus, you know, witnessing crazy things, and Jesus takes them to this place that they would have felt very uncomfortable in. There's pagan worship happening over there. There's sacrifice happening over there. And all of a sudden, we know what that mountain is. <laughs> that mountain is where the bad dudes come and assemble. They assemble on that mountain. Spiritually, oh no, and the gates of hell. Regardless of what we think, in the first century, there would have been a very uncomfortable feeling, to say the least, in all of those disciples. But Jesus brought them to that point. He took them right there in amongst it. So here we have these disciples in pagan paradise feeling, oh my goodness, we've given our whole lives up for this and I'm about to die. <laughs> about to be confronted by all these evil spirits and sacrifices going on. Ah, what would have happened? It would have been very difficult for them. Can you imagine it if you were there? Here I am, I decided to follow Jesus and I find myself at the foot of the throne of the evil guys and at the gates of hell. What do I do? Right at that very time, Jesus asks this question in verse 13. He says this, who do people say the Son of Man is? Wow, 
You've got to understand that's very, very significant. Jesus is adding fuel to the fire here. The name Son of Man was probably the most controversial thing he could have called himself at that time. It's a direct reference back to the book of Daniel. Ironically, the book of Daniel also interlocks a bit with the book of Enoch. He talks about principalities and powers and, and evil rulers and watchers that watch over and, and are wanting to be you know, against God. And all of a sudden he mentions the Son of Man coming on a cloud to come and defeat the principalities and powers and then to rule the kingdom of God. And here's Jesus. And the disciples would have known that. The disciples would have been students of that. They would have learnt all about Daniel and what Daniel was saying about the end times. And here's Jesus calling himself the Son of Man, a name that really ticked the Pharisees off because of its significance. They thought it was the ultimate blasphemy. But here's Jesus asking them, who do men say that I am, the Son of Man? Who do they say that? The disciples looked at each other nervously and they said this in, in verse 14. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he said? Who do you say I am? I think he's bringing a challenge right now to the church. Okay, the, I am the son of man. Do you believe that? Do you believe that I'm the anointed Messiah who would come and rule? I think that's what he's saying. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. This passage is called Peter's confession because of that line. Peter confesses something. Inside of him, something rose up. Something connected. What he knew connected with the Holy Spirit from God, showing him this is the Messiah. This is not just a good man. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a warrior to come and take back from Rome. No, he's the anointed ruler. He's the Messiah. Something rose up in him. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus turns around and says, mate, that's not natural thinking. You know, flesh and blood's not revealed this to you, but my Father has. This is the time, Peter. This is a moment where you realise right in this very place, amongst pagan paradise, at the foot of a hill, which is legendary, the throne room of evil spirits. God's revealing to you, Peter, something significant right here, right now. It was revealed. Then Jesus makes this amazing statement. He says this, and I tell you in verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, right here where we stand, Peter, Right here at the gate of hell, where paganism's going crazy, in this very uncertain circumstance, in this place where you're feeling scared, where you're feeling alone, where you're feeling invaded, where you're feeling as though you're out of control. Upon this rock right here in this stronghold, Peter, I will build my church. You know, the word he uses there, what we read in the Greek anyway, is ecclesia. Ecclesia means assembly. Isn't it ironic that he would use that word at a place where evil spirits legendarily assembled, had a congress, a congregation, if you like? I reckon it's a great choice of words. Even though everyone believes that's happening here right now, 
Peter, I want to tell you, I'm gathering an assembly. Disciples, I want, to know your part, I want you to know that you're part of an assembly, a great assembly. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And then I reckon he points and says this, and the gates of hell, where you are, the circumstance you're in right now, no matter what you're going through, pointing at the, the grotto of Pan, saying the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Nothing can overcome what I'm doing through my church. Nothing can overcome my church. You know, I, I, I know a little bit of church history throughout the ages and do you know the church has been, the Christian church has been the most per persecuted group of people in history? It has had more persecution than anyone. It has had genocides happen. It has been threatened. People have died just because they held a Bible in their hands. It is the most, per but yet the church continues. In fact, if you read modern statistics through the developing world, it is the fastest growing organisation in the world. It's growing faster now than it ever has in the, in the developing world. Africa and parts of Asia is going crazy. God's church will always prevail because the gates of hell, any circumstance can't prevail. It goes forward. It keeps going no matter what. The Roman Empire tried to stamp it out. The greatest empire known to mankind went for a thousand years. And do you know what brought it down? Constantine got a revelation from God, got saved, became part of the church and brought the Roman Empire down. The church, actually, the Roman Empire flipped over to be part of the church, which is amazing. The gates of hell shall not prevail against my church, he says there. Another little note about that passage of scripture. When he says, you are Peter, his name was Simon. You are Peter. He used the word Petros, what we read in the Greek, Petros. And that means, doesn't mean big rock, it means little pebble. It means a stone, not a rock, a stone. And um, then he says, and upon this rock, he said Petra, Petros, Petra. Upon this big rock. So he's pointing at a bigger rock, but he called Peter a smaller rock. I started thinking about it. Later on, Peter actually talks about the cornerstone, Jesus being the cornerstone of a building, cornerstone of the church, really. Does that mean the rock he called Peter was one of the rocks? That he would build a church coming from the construction industry? I think he's a brick. He's one of the bricks that God would build. Peter, I'm going to call you a brick now. <laughs> Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a brick. He built his church out of a whole bunch of bricks, people fallible people, people who are imperfect, people who stumble, people who have their faults. He gathers them together and out of that he builds his church and the gates of hell can't prevail against it. You're a brick, all of you, brick with eyes. <laughs> ah, shout out to Glenn Lazarus. Worldwide today, people find themselves very uncertain times. Not unlike the situation which these disciples found themselves at Caesarea Philippi. Right around the world there's uncertainty, there's fear, there's division. Right around the world, especially in our own backyards right now, there's so much uncertainty. There's anxiousness. There's a lot of stuff going on right now in our lives here. And I'm just wondering right now, a word for us is this. Church, Christians, even though you're affected by this, 
There's so many regulations and so many rules. I feel like my freedoms are being squashed. Is the government trying to rule us? Are they taking too much control? Do I vaccinate or don't I? Oh, I don't know. You should, you shouldn't, you should, you shouldn't. All these things are bombarding us. I'd like to think that maybe the disciples were having a similar circumstance right there at Caesarea Philippi. And I want to suggest to you today that as Christians at the church, what does this all mean for us? The gates of hell shall not prevail. He will build his church brick by brick by brick and you're part of that and he's with you and he's not left you and he will make sure the church actually prevails. The church prevails a lot. Like I said, it has had so much opposition, but here we stand. You know, I even see things in media where they go crazy at church and even in parliamentarian places just recently, a Christian gathering wanted to take place in Perth and for some unknown reason, the government there said, no, you're not allowed to. Why? There was no real reason. They had to overturn that decision, but where did that come from? There is opposition. We don't fight the government, but they won't prevail. We don't fight against anyone else. We fight against principalities and powers, Paul tells us. Those spiritual dudes that these guys knew about. We fight for that. We rise up as a church. The church will prevail. Amen? Then Jesus went on to say something interesting. He says this, verse 19. Let's read it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He calls it the kingdom of heaven, mainly that's Matthew, talking to a Jewish congregation, Jewish reader. Could be the kingdom of God. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The church has power to bind and loose. Think about that for a moment. This is the same power God has in heaven. It's a bit like that prayer we pray, you know, your will be done in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. It's a bit like Jesus actually said just before he commissioned his disciples, he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me. We've been given that authority. We can bind, we can bind up the strong man. We're binding the strong man, boom, 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 loosen the captives. That's what we're called to do, church. We're not passive. We don't sit back and say, oh, woe am I, oh, woe am I. No, 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 no. He's given us keys, the power. We walk in his kingdom. We are the Christians who are his kingdom. We are the ones, we're his church. He's saying here, whatever you bind on earth. Maybe there's things that we right now need to bind. We need to bind fear. We need to bind, you know, anxieties. We need to bind uncertainties. We need to bind sicknesses and say, you have no place here. And begin with faith to believe that whatever we bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. In other words, heaven agrees. God's power is used. Amen. And we have the power to loose. Loose people from diseases and sicknesses, depression. Set people free. It's a supernatural element that God has brought upon his church. Remember, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It wasn't just to the elect. It was to his church. And you, my friend, are the bricks 
of which he has made his church up of. The assembly, the ones who gather together, even via the internet. <laughs> where the spirit of the God is, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, the Bible tells us. Paul writes that. When we are able to understand something about God, when we understand that we are his church, he is the Messiah. Notice there, Jesus actually says something. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Why doesn't he say, I'll give you the kingdom? He doesn't do that. I don't think it's a given. I actually don't think it's automatic. It's not, okay, I'm a Christian now. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've got the kingdom. I don't have that authority. I don't, I don't have it. I actually think Jesus is saying, I'm giving you the key. Straight after Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the son of man that Daniel talks about. Oh my goodness, you're the ruler. And I understand, I think that's the key. The more and more I read that, I think that's the key. I actually think the key is to understand that Jesus rules. Again, I think the boundaries of God's kingdom is, is determined by when and where Jesus rules. If he doesn't rule, he's not the king. And if he doesn't rule in an area of my life, he's not the king. Therefore, that part's not part of the kingdom. And I believe as we begin to realise that Jesus rules. Jesus is the Messiah, the ruling, the ruling Messiah, the ruling king. Establishing his kingdom in my life. Every part of my life, my thought life, my, my, my physical life, my relationships. Everything I do, everything I am comes under his rulership. Everything I own comes under his rulership. He owns it. When I understand that, I think that's the key. I will give you the key. This is the key. And then whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I could stand here all day giving you testimony after testimony out of my life and Naomi's life of impossible situations we don't know how we got through. We don't know. But I do know that long ago we decided Jesus rules over our marriage. Jesus rules over our family. Jesus rules over my household. Jesus rules over my decisions. He rules over my possessions. And I'm just blown away how he just keeps coming through. We keep prevailing. And things which should take us out have not taken us out. And I think the key of it is that you're, you're the Messiah of my life. Messiah means ruler, the anointed one the one who is anointed to establish his kingdom, if you look at the Son of Man. I think there's a key in that church. I think it's a powerful key. So church, I want to ask you a question. Everyone, answer this to yourself. Who do you say he is? Is he the God that you worship only on Sundays? Is he the good man who gives you fantastic principles to live by? Is he the one who wants us to do good? They're all great things, no doubt about it. He's that, but he's much more than that. He's the son of the living God. He is the anointed ruler. And I think he's saying, I want you to take the keys from my hand, church. Take the keys. I have these keys to the kingdom. And if you would pick those keys up and come and join me in this, you would enjoy life. 
won't be easy. It will be difficult. But there were situations like these disciples found themselves in, confused maybe, oppressed maybe, feeling like there's no way out maybe. Jesus said, ah, I'll give you the key, son. Who do men say the son of man is? Yeah. My take on this is really, he's my Messiah. He's my Lord. And I'll confess that. He has rulership over my life. And because of that, and only because of that, whatever I bind on earth, whatever I say, no, that will not happen. No, God's anointing is on that. Whatever I say, yes, we're going to lose that. God's anointing is on that over my life. Church, I want to encourage you this morning. Where are you at? How are you feeling? We're in very difficult times. I'm, I, I'm very blessed to have my parents with us at home and three of my children or four, five soon, hopefully, Bethany and Elijah. That'd be nice. Little baby coming any day now. But I'm feeling for everyone else that maybe it's just you. There's two of you. And... But at this time is the time to actually ask yourself, who do I say he is? It's a very difficult time. It's the challenge of our lifetime. It's the crisis of our lifetime. It is difficult. And who knows what's ahead? We don't know. But we do have a God who knows. We have a Jesus who loves you more than life itself. He proved that. But the key to it is letting Him be Lord. So I've asked the musicians whether they come back and I'd like us to worship Him again. Wherever you're at, maybe you're under the doona. Maybe you're on a lounge. No matter who you're with, maybe you're with a spouse and it's a bit awkward right now. Well, can we just close our eyes and lose the awkward feeling right now? And I want us just to meditate. As this song sings over us, think about the words. And I want you to ask yourself, who do you say He is? Is He just your deity that you worship? Or is He your ruler? Does He rule over every aspect? Does He rule over your loneliness right now? Does He rule over your uncertainty? Because I tell you, friend, you can bind that anxiety and you can loose the fears and find the beautiful freedom that's in Christ. Come on, let's sing this song.